Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Matthew Fox, myself, I've been hosting the episodes about Indiana Jones over on Binger's Assemble, and I wanted to share with you the first of those episodes right here on Superhero Ethics. You can find all the rest on the Binger's Assemble podcast, and once the new movie comes out, I and a couple of other people will be talking about some of the ethical questions that comes up in Superhero Ethics, because, you know, archaeology might have some ethical questions. But for now, take a listen to this episode all about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones movie. Hello and welcome to this episode of Binger's Assemble. Yesterday, the inmates are running the asylum. My Matthew Fox have taken over because I am the 80s child of this network, and I am taking us back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. Friends, we're going to be covering all of the Indiana Jones movies in order, getting us ready for the new one coming out at the end of this month. Today, it's myself and Will Freeland, the silver dreamer of Twitch Lego fame, talking to you about one of my favorite movies from my childhood, Raiders of the Lost Ark. All that more after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. I'm sure that there are specific things I'm supposed to say because this is a Binger's Assemble episode. But like I said, the cats are away, so the mice are going to play. And we are talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we're doing so with my good friend, Will Freeland. Will, introduce yourself. I don't think you've been on a Binger's Assemble episode yet. I have not. This is my first Binger's cameo appearance. Um, uh, let's see. I I have... Do I talk about, like, what I do? Is is that my introduction? Yeah, just give, like, a quick 30-second introduction to yourself. <laughs> Sure. I'm all over the internet as Silver Dreamer. Um, you can follow me on Twitch. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok if, you, if you're, if you you know, real uh, new age. Um, but then I also have a podcast called uh, Hype is My Superpower. I talk about Marvel Comics uh, and go into way too much depth about them. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my internet presence. Yeah, love it, love it. So glad you're here. And so we do have a couple of these. This is a little bit of a structured podcast. So we're going to start with what we call the shot and the chaser. The shot is in two minutes, I'm going to do everything I can to explain the plot of this movie. Some people may have seen it many, many years ago. Some people may have never seen it. If you've never seen it, I do highly recommend finding it online. It is definitely available on Amazon and whether it's available in other places, I will not say for legal reasons. But uh, if you haven't seen it in many, many years, and just want to get a quick reminder, here we go. Here's the plot. So we start by getting introduced to Indiana Jones, who is an archaeology professor who goes, oh, whoops, I did not start the timer. So uh, <laughs> me again, the, uh, the inmates are in control. I should stop making that joke because I have actually been an inmate. Uh, not well, not, no, that's, that's totally the wrong thing to say. I have got, you know what? We're going to, no, I've not been, the look Will is giving me. I was thinking about it more as the Grippy Socks uh, vacation place, which I have been into. But no, Will, I've not, I, I've been arrested, but that not gone to prison. So, uh-huh. um, Will, okay. We are Sol- so awfully key here. I had a misspent youth. Good backtrack. Good backtrack. In the, in the hokey. <laughs> all right. Welcome back. Skipping all ahead. Matthew Carroll is listening to this and tearing at his hair going, what the hell did I do giving my podcast to these lunatics? But here we go. Here is your shot. So we're introduced to Indiana Jones. We are in uh, South America. And he, it is the 1930s. And, uh... He is going into the system of caves looking for an ancient relic. 
And to get to this ancient relic, he has to go through traps and and figure out puzzles. And it's basically like, if it looks like a video game, it kind of is, but really more than anything, it is a 1930s serial. It's very much a tribute to those 1930s serials that our parents or our grandparents, some of you are really young or your great-grandparents may have, may have watched as kids. Uh, anyway, he gets betrayed by his native guide, who's played by Alfred Molina, by the way. We'll talk about that kind of stuff in a bit. Um, he gets betrayed. There are traps that go off. He barely escapes, and he runs into this French archaeologist named... Uh, Oh, God, I can't remember his name now. I had it written down, but it's two minutes. I can say it. French archaeologist who steals the thing. Back home, he's a professor of archaeology. All the girls love him. And it turns out that people have found out that the Nazis are looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, the Covenant of the uh, Ten Commandments, which, of course, was to be very powerful in battle. So we go to Egypt. We uh, First, we go to Mongolia, and he hooks up with someone who's the daughter of his mentor, who apparently he was having a relationship with when, he, when she was pretty damn young. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, Jets off to Egypt, has all sorts of crazy adventures in Egypt, trying to get into the tomb as well as to stop the Nazis from getting the the Ark. He keeps succeeding, but Belloc, that's the name of the French archaeologist, he keeps having successes, but then they keep going against him. He figures out the puzzle. He figures out he finds the Ark, but then they get captured. He threatens to blow up the Ark unless he gets the girl back. Uh, But it turns out he's not willing to do that. So him and the girl get tied up and watch as the Nazis open up the Ark, at which point... Basically, the wrath of God comes down upon Indiana, uh, comes down upon the Nazis, destroys them all, with Indiana Jones not having done anything to make it happen. And we're done. So that's the shot. Uh, what did I miss? <laughs> what did you miss? Is, is this Probably the chaser? A couple of uh, plot, plot details <clears throat> that, I, that I skipped out on. Um, I mean, there's like nuances. Uh, mm-hmm. But as far as the plot is concerned, um, oh, I guess... The fact that he was hired by the government to do this. Yep. Um, but other than... No, I, I think that was pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. you, you got all the locations. You got... You highlighted the betrayals. You got Dr. Octopus. Uh, I think I said Mongolia when it's Nepal. For some reason, little ooh. kid me thought it was Nepal. I uh, thought it was Mongolia, but he is actually in Nepal that he goes and finds Marion. Marion is, she's now, you know, a woman in her late 20s, I think. But the implication is, is definitely that she was probably like, she says I was just a child. I think she was supposed to be like 16 or 17. Right. Uh, you know, Which is fine together. in the maybe, 1920s. Maybe even 18. <laughs> you know, it's... it's <laughs> I'm going to talk more about this in the superhero ethics episode. I'll just kind of get it out of the way quickly. There's a lot of ways in this this, this movie and some of the others haven't aged that well. In part because they were trying to echo back to the movies of the 30s. Right. Where white people going off to explore the quote-unquote exotic lands was, was the story you told. It's not the best. There's a line where he's literally taking an ancient relic out of where it's supposed to be and says this belongs in a museum. Um, it's, it, it means instead of some collector having it, but the idea that maybe it should just stay with the people who made it and worship it. Well, anyway, we'll talk about that more in Superhero Ethics. There, there, there are some ways in which those things, and again, the, uh, oh, he's just a lovable scamp who had a relationship with his girl when she was maybe 16, maybe 18. We don't know exactly, but clearly she has some feelings for it. But in true adventure style, it is Harrison Ford. So by the end, she's kissing him happily and life goes on. So yeah. what did you think of this movie overall? Um, 
let's see for okay for a 40 year old movie it is amazing how it has lasted like references and um iconic scenes there when you think of indiana jones and you think of like amazing indiana jones scene almost all of those things that come to mind are from the first movie or from this movie yeah um and so the influence of this movie uh culturally is cannot be understated uh but i don't know if i would venture to say that it's a good movie although for a movie, <laughs> a movie that came out in 1981, for it to be just shy of two hours long is equally impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I actually assumed when I was gonna when I pulled it up uh, to watch for this that it was gonna be like an 85, 90 minute movie because I was like, all old movies are super short. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, this I mean this went for a good minute, and um, I the the like damsel in distress thing uh gets old after about 15 minutes um Mm -hmm. but i don't know it's it's easy to it's easy to just say that it's a a movie of its time i mean yeah you know standards and uh um uh ethics in the 19 early 1980s are very different from how they are (laughs) now in the 2020s And again, we'll talk about them more in the other podcast. Yeah. I, I have to say, I, and maybe it's because I still approach it with this childlike wonder, because I saw this movie when I was six years old, probably, and I just thought Indiana Jones was the coolest guy in the universe. And I was always a Han Solo guy, not a Luke Skywalker guy, which is probably also part of why I loved it. Mm. And just everything from the hat and the whip to the adventures to, you know, this is a Steven Spielberg movie, but George Lucas, I think, didn't he wrote the idea of the stories for most of them and then an actual writer took over writing the dialogue which is mm. a pretty much the best way to do a George Lucas project i think most people would agree <laughs> and it's funny how you see i i find myself seeing a lot of the same elements like for example you you, you call her a damsel in distress and i think by modern standards she somewhat is but she's a heck of a lot more badass and very much like Princess Leia in A New Hope. Yeah. She's much more involved. And like, she has a couple lines that are basically the equivalent of into the shoot, into the garbage shoot flyboy. Um, <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments of hers is when they're in the middle of this fight where they're shooting up her bar and this big keg of, of beer, probably, or whiskey maybe, has been shot and there's a stream of it coming out. Yeah. And she's in the middle, like dodging bullets and she goes over and like takes a long drink and then yeah. goes back to shooting. Man, and I was just like, I've- that's a badass character. <laughs> I thought because she did that right after she grabbed something that was on fire. I thought she was going to torch the guy behind the bar. (laughs) Oh, awesome! Uh, And then next time it shows her, she just knocks him out, and I was like, "Oh, she was just thirsty." Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun watching it. Um, and and we get introduced to her in a drinking contest where she Mm -hmm. outdrinks you know large Nepalese guy, um, which it, it. it's interesting to me how many, how much of this movie is set pieces. You know, we don't get a lot of right. like cutting back and forth between things. We have the scene in the bar, and then Indy in the bar, and then the fight in the bar, and then we cut to the Nazis, and, then we, and it. Again, I didn't grow up watching these movies, but I've I've read a lot about them. And I've seen some of them put together, like on YouTube. 
I think it does a really good job of recreating that idea of the serialized story where, you know, you go watch 20 minutes of it every Saturday morning or a half hour of it every Saturday morning. And that's why you get like a fight scene. Uh, you know, you get like a very interesting, important scene that's all so kind of self-contained for about 10 or 15 minutes each time. Yeah. Um so I'm not a movie buff, but mm-hmm. uh, so like I can't speak to like other movies of the early 80s and stuff like that. However, comma, um, two things that stood out to me about this movie are uh, the like uh, the use of the camera like there's uh, there's so many scenes of like the camera behind a screen uh and showing characters where where like their eye is highlighted or their face is the only thing that's lit up um and just like mm-hmm. d- using using sets to highlight this that and the other or using shadow yep. Uh, like when Indy first gets to the bar, he's his <laughs> for whatever reason, there's a light source behind him and uh, his iconic hat silhouette is plastered up on the wall in front of Marion. And that's yeah. how he, that's how he enters the scene. And like so they do a lot of that. I don't know if this is um, unique <laughs> to this mm-hmm. movie or if that's just what they were doing in movies at the time. That's why like I'm like, I'm not a movie buff, but uh, it seemed like it was new. It felt new, yeah. even though I'm watching it 40 years later. <laughs> Um, yeah, th- and I'm guessing, I'm guessing some of that is is the trope, you know, like right. Indiana Jones, for example. The first time we see him, is, the first thing we kind of hear of him is the crack of the whip, and then uh-huh. we see, you know, his face come out of the shadow, like mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about that scene where that scene where it's his shadow over Marion as he kind of walks back into her bar, that felt the most like, okay, you're, you're doing storytelling now through the shadow because that's very much about how he has cast this shadow over her life. And he, she talks about how she went all the way across the world to get away from him and now she can't even get away from him. The, mm-hmm. the reason he's gone to her is because her father, who was this other great archaeologist, he had found this this amulet that would ba- they basically had carvings on it that the, the whole idea is that if they could find this secret city that was buried by the sand, um, this amulet with a specific, you follow the specific instructions that are on it and go to this specific place that's being excavated, it'll tell you where exactly the ark is. Because uh, in the end of the day, this is really about archaeology. It's all about, uh, you know, trying to figure out where to dig to find this element. And the Nazis are just digging everywhere. <laughs> and our heroes are trying to both kind of subvert them and also do what they can to, you know, find it themselves. Right. Um, another thing that stood out was the sound design of, like, the punches. Mm. There's so much bass in every single strike. It's a lot of fun to listen to. (laughs) It felt to me like the equivalent of the Batman 66 or, like, a comic book where you... It it was like you could hear pow and smack and (laughs) whack and... Every time a body hits the floor. And and there was one scream that, like... There are a the couple Wilhelm times screen. where people, yeah, that may, it, 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 I don't know that name, but that may be it. Let me explain to you what I mean. Oh. There was a, like a couple of times people fall over railings or people fall a long distance, 
And the scream they give sounds exactly like what happens when an Imperial soldier screams as he falls in Raiders of the, uh, not Raiders of the Jedi, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the Wilhelm scream. The, it's like uh-huh. a, it's, it's a industry staple at this point. And it, it was the first one to do it was that stormtrooper in like New Hope or whatever. Um, and, it just got dubbed as the Wilhelm scream, and it is everywhere. It's in, I think it gets used in every single Star Wars media, and then it'll, it shows up in other movies and TV shows. And whenever it pops up, I always point it out to my wife, and she's like, Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's, <laughs> but it, it's, yeah. it's so iconic and it really stands out. <laughs> and so, like, the one in, in Lost Ark, it's just this guy falling off of one vehicle onto another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. it's okay. so extreme of just, wow. <laughs> And I gotta say also, the music. This isn't. John Williams, I think, is mostly mm. remembered for Star Wars. And there's a lot of similarities to this in Star Wars, but he also did these movies, he did Superman, and it's just. Like, I, I think you could. I think there's an argument to be made that, again, it sounds a little dated, but in this setting, it just works so well. It Absolutely. just captures the the spookiness, the, the, the fear when they're surrounded by the snakes or they think they're gonna be trapped, and, and then just the epic moments of the dun dun dun. You know, when it looks like everything's going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Just the the use of of horns um, mm-hmm. and how flexible just the brass section of an orchestra can be is, yeah. is amazing. So, and yeah, it actually reminds me, like, I know that some of these movies, this is, I think, back in the silent era, but, like, there would be times where people would show these movies with an orchestra actually there to play it live, mm-hmm. um, to play the music live, which is kind of awesome. So let's talk about a couple of the characters. What did you think of Indiana Jones himself? By the way, I, I do want to say this movie is now often referred to as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is false. The name of this right. movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. But Indiana Jones is the star. He's who we're talking about. What did you think of Indy? Um, it's, it, fe- it felt like they knew what they wanted in – well, okay. They knew – there's they they knew that they wanted Indy to be an iconic character, but I don't know if they truly figured out yet like what part of his character did they want to lean into? Like was he gonna be mm-hmm. the amazing um no, I don't want to say Tomb Raider because that's another <laughs> license, but like the 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 amazing explorer that that uh is able to um put two and two together and solve the puzzles or is he going to be um the ladies man uh mm-hmm. suave uh laid back but then at the same time he's also awkward <laughs> about it like it yeah it was it's it's fun and it's it's a great i think it's a great first look I think there's mm-hmm. I think there's enough about him that people obviously want more and yeah. 40 years later they're still making <laughs> Indiana Jones movies <laughs> uh but it 
it's so strange because the first his like introduction scene is super serious until he right. gets until he's running away <clears throat> and you have just his like start the plane start the uh-huh. plane <laughs> and he's like sm- and dust is eternally falling off of his jacket and then he has like I hate snakes which becomes just the most quotable Indiana mm-hmm. Jones quote <laughs> ever uh, and then you're like oh so he's not action hero he's he's kind of funny <laughs> yeah i don't know it was i i i don't personally identify with him um mm-hmm. but i think he's a fun watch i i hear what you're saying i think he's it is interesting how they're trying to do a couple of things with him and i, I my understanding is it's very much in the idea of you know, in the 19th century, you had all these stories in the British press about these great explorers who are both, in theory, like, you know, very academic men, great archaeologists and studies of culture, but who would go into, you know, and I, again, I'm using the phrase that would be used then, uh, uh, irony very much intended, I'm using the phrase that would be used then, uh, you know, the darkest heart of Africa or the depths of the mm. jungles, you know, and they would have all these adventures and they would be chased by wild animals and by natives and all these things. And so I think this this mythology came out of the, like, adventurer scholar, you know, who somehow had time to learn eight different languages and sword <laughs> fighting and whip using. And, and Indiana is, as I understand it, one half that. But also, when this all started, Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond movie. Like, that mm. was his original idea, was to be kind of the international man of mystery who was jet-setting all around the world. And so him and Lucas came together and kind of put those two ideas, and that's what they got. And I, I feel like, you're right, it works. In later movies, I think they settle more into him being primarily that adventurer person who also is very scholarly and somehow always knows the local language, no matter what it is. <laughs> um, but it's – and the ladies' man part is funny, too, because it, he, again, gives me such Han Solo vibes. It's very mm-hmm. much that same – Scoundrel. He's a scoundrel with a secret heart of gold. <laughs> Although in this yeah. one, we don't really ever see the secret heart of gold as much, except that, you know, he utterly hates Nazis, which is, I, I think <laughs> these movies kind of show, like, yeah, if you want to have, like, the absolute worst villain to whom we can justify anything being done because they're literal Nazis trying to steal something. Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. I think they kind of, oh, I, I'll do the whole, you know, I've done the whole thing. Um yeah, and so I think these movies, in a later movie, they're not fighting against Nazis. And frankly, I think that's kind of the problem is like the Nazis were just the best villains. And again, for the <laughs> 1930s kind of serial stuff, this idea of like this one American who's off by himself doing everything he can to stop the Nazis uh, is just really fun. I, As you said, I, I, I did some more research and, and talked to some people. Even by the archaeological ethic standards of the 1930s, uh, this person would have some major problems. Uh, you're you're supposed to at least have some pretense of how you're getting things done. Uh, but again, that's the official, and we know that wasn't always the case. So maybe he would be completely within the the bonds of how they did things. Who knows? Yeah. I, it felt like a, a director discretion that when the Nazis had the Ark boxed up in in the plane, the Ark mm-hmm. just decided to burn the Nazi label and and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yep. Like it felt really out of place. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the arc starting to assert itself. Uh, right. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about that. What that's kind of a MacGuffin of the whole thing. And uh, what'd you think of how that story played out? Um. So conceptually, big picture, I love. Um, I always I I get sucked in when you take religious myth or um, story. I don't want to be completely disrespectful, but uh, when you take story and translate it into how the real world works. Uh, mm-hmm. And so to have, you know, the MacGuffin being the Ark of the Covenant. And then so uh, Indy's explanation is just like, yeah, this is its story. It's, you know, it's religious uh use and what the tool right. was and then how it gets interpreted um to hi- history uh and then the the hands that it changed and all of its placements and stuff that's a lot of fun and yeah uh so <laughs> going and getting the arc i what i guess doesn't make sense to me is that the arc was used as what carried the Ten Commandments, but it's also a turret <laughs> or a Tesla coil. <laughs> mm-hmm. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but that's fine. It's 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 weird, but it's fine. <laughs> and there, I mean, we can't blame the writers of this movie. That's just straight from the Bible. Like the idea right. that this the okay. Ark held the co- the covenant. But that, as you said, they were the ones that were broken, and there's various different mythologies about it. But this idea that the the Israelites carried it with them as a weapon of war, and, mm-hmm. and that when God's wrath was brought down, um, and yet it, to me as a biblical scholar, like there's a part of me that wants to tear my hair out. <laughs> but I'm always because, <laughs> but it's always it is it, it's it's fun to me when you know. Most of the scholarship, even by the 1930s, but especially today, has really moved away from kind of literal interpretations of many of these stories. And in fact, actually, the archaeological record has proven uh, that, the, that many of these stories are very much definitely not, not true, or, but are myth. And again, I'm a person of faith. They're very powerful myths. But I kind of love when, like, like a lot of Marvel movies or a lot of other supernatural movies that are very much not Christian movies, they're, but they wind up taking Christian mythology, or in this case, Jewish mythology, very much as literal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, in Supernatural, uh, that's a bad example, but in a lot of other things, the angels and Lucifer are exactly as they mm. are told in, like, early Christian writings and stuff like that. Um, and so, we, we've never had a, a movie where the angel looks like an actual biblical angel, because it's horrifying, and, like, many right. eyes, and many arms, and many wings, and uh, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so there's a part of me that could rolls my eyes a bit at that, but it is really fun. And I do, you know, if God's vengeance is ever going to come down and smite people, it's going to be the Nazis. So I, I do kind of <laughs> like that part, even if, and well, here this gets into one of the great questions that's raised about this movie. It has been posited by a number of people that if Indiana Jones never travels to Egypt, one of two things happens. Either A, the Nazis just never find it, so basically the same ending except a couple of Nazis don't wind up dead, or B, the Nazis find it, they open it, and everybody dies. Mm. Is Indiana Jones necessary in any way for this story? (laughs) Oh, man, that's amazing. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, 
Okay. Uh, ye- yeah. <laughs> Damn. I'm trying to justify it. Like, I'm, I'm going through, like, the, the story points. I was like, well, mm. you know, if Indy wasn't there, then they would have only... Then they would have gotten both sides of the amulet uh, to tell them exactly how tall to make the staff. But that means they just get to the arc faster, which means they die faster. Um, But I guess the one hiccup that is not that big of a hiccup is um, the, the Nazi general... Um, that that Bellic is working with um, mm-hmm. plans to use it for him for himself and not even get it to Hitler right so and he dies anyway so <laughs> uh, yeah maybe he's not needed there right but I think, I think <sighs> argue, at one point they blow up a plane and I I, I think of what like Belloc, who, who's the French archaeologist, and he's kind of a fun character because he clearly doesn't like the Nazis. They're just sponsoring him. Mm-hmm. He's doing this all for the glory, uh, and he tries to romance Marion in, in some very interesting scenes. Um, but like, there's a plane there to fly the Ark directly to Berlin. Yeah. So I think it's possible that if Indy doesn't interfere. It gets taken right to Berlin, and possibly a lot of German high command, maybe even Hitler himself, get killed. So Indy might have made everything worse. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Again, I love the movie. I just think this is kind of a fun, ridiculous thing to point out that, like, there's a lot of great adventures that happen, and you can who you know you can what if in all sorts of ways. Uh, but there is one. It, it's kind of the equivalent of the Darth Jar Jar kind of ideas, you know. Yeah. In God, one, there's a way to view this movie. <laughs> In which nothing Indiana Jones does is in any way significant. That's so ch- Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so right. Because, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because, oh, man. Like, I'm sorry I broke your brain. <laughs> and that's kind of the thing. And I feel like because of that, you know, movie writers have learned and so that so they make it so the MacGuffin has to be turned against <laughs> the bad guys to kill them, and right. that's how the hero interferes. But the hero right. was tied up for this and just let it happen. I, oh, I mean, man. I think this is one of the only times I'm perfectly happy to see a quite literal Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> <laughs> like that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Right. Dang. Mm. <laughs> well, maybe okay. <laughs> maybe maybe the Temple of Doom will be will be more interfering. Yeah, because I haven't Doom seen Temple of Doom. A, <laughs> he definitely plays a very big role in the plot. Don't worry about that. And we're I'm really excited for that one because uh, Ashley and Bill, the hosts of Ashley and Bill's Terror Theater, are going to talk to me about that because that's basically like this is half adventure movie, half kind of scholarly research movie that's half adventure movie half horror movie so we're gonna have a mm. fun conversation about that one um but let's kind of do uh we, we've talked for a little bit and we're going to kind of go into our last two sections uh bottom bottom shelf and top shelf so bottom shelf uh what are some of the things that that didn't really work for you about the movie or that you didn't love and i'll start with i love the idea of it and I love and I, at, at six years old, watching the faces of the Nazis melt off was pretty damn awesome. Uh-huh. 
and even probably at 12 and 18. And it, I think for its time, those effects were great. Those effects have not aged well. <laughs> like, that oh, yes. whole, like, I think all the stuff with the spirits flying around, that has aged amazingly. Mm-hmm. But the, the scenes of them all dying was a little silly. Yeah. 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 It's, def- it's definitely a product of its time, but it's, it, it looks, it still looks not terrible. Yeah. I'll give them that. And, and I guess they probably had to make it look kind of a bit over the top and silly because or else it's just horrific to watch. Right. So yeah, maybe absolutely. that is for the best. What are you, what are some of your bottom shelf moments? But, um, so Egyptian mythology is my second favorite mythology um Uh and i this is the only time i've seen a statue of anubis where he's like act open mouth attacking the air um right as a statue that's the statue that they find right when they open up the 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 cave of the ark and where salah the um the arab guide who once again is played by a white guy john reese davies uh sort of pulls back in fear yeah. Um so just from a personal bias standpoint, I did I don't like that design of Anubis mm-hmm. of an Anubis statue. Um but uh, Yeah, honestly surprisingly not a whole lot of bottom shelf stuff for me. Like yeah. it's it's just kind of it's just a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, I, including I the Disneyland the ride. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, there's, as I said, there's some things that just haven't aged well in terms yeah. of the, the racial stuff and the gender stuff. But but that's just, yeah, I think you just if you can just put that aside and go, you know what? This is a fun movie of its time and still love it. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else bottom shelfy to me. I, I did think that the... So somehow Indiana got to this place in South America where he goes looking for this statue. Mm-hmm. And now this guy is waiting with a plane to fly him out. So I think this guy probably flew him in. <laughs> so how did he not notice the snake in the plane? The, like, it gives us a great moment of like, right. oh, my God, there's a snake in the plane. Oh, my God. Did this inspire snakes on the plane? No, oh, I stop. hadn't even thought of no. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. How dare you? <laughs> it is cinema a cinema classic. <laughs> but, but anyway, oh. yeah, I thought that moment was a little silly, but... Overall, yeah, there's so much good here. Um, I'll start out with one of my top shelves then. Oh, sorry, I do, I do have one other bottom Go shelf. Go for it. Uh, in that chase scene, there's a guy. One of the natives uh, shoots a bow, shoots his arrow just up, like <laughs> like mm-hmm. Indy runs down, and this and this guy is one of the first. Uh, of the natives on the scene and he just goes ah and just shoots this arrow terribly and just does this <laughs> rainbow arc to the far left <laughs> it makes no sense <laughs> but like it, again movie of the times it's fine but like yeah that's one of those things where i was just like oh you could have tried a little harder buddy <laughs> right right look they, they 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 went and designed all these great traps at least so that was pretty awesome yeah so one of my favorite moments, and I always forget about it until I watch it, then I'm like, this is so good, is when our, our main German antagonist, Herremacht, um, who gets introduced in this like incredibly spooky way, again, walking out of the shadows, very spooky music, and he's just very much like German interrogator, scary man. And later, he comes into the tent where um, uh, Marion is tied up, 
and he pulls out of his I think uh, Indy's also but maybe it'd be her I'm not sure. no it's her and Belloc and he pulls out of his jacket uh, he hands his jacket oh. to his uh, henchman yes. and he pulls out what looks kind of like almost like a thin version of nunchucks. It's like these like two metal rods with chains in between them. And he holds it up kind of threateningly and then he folds it once or twice and it's a hanger. Like he yes. brings with him a hanger so that someone can hang up his cape. And I'm like, that is the most evil, evil, oh. like, evil move I have Dude, ever seen. I, I spiraled. So I mentally spiraled <laughs> after that. Cause I was like, who does that? But then, cause like, so it's, it's a, it's like a three, it's like a three piece, uh, right. uh, looks like a weapon. But then I just spiraled into like, if you have an entire closet full of these hangers and then what kind of house do you have where you have all these um tools of potential torture and or bdsm whips like just in the whole house but they're all dual purpose and they're all just household pieces (laughs) just around the entire house i just i lost it that was amazing i I thought it was so good and again an interesting callback and granted this is far beyond where lucas was uh but maybe this was a callback or maybe it's just a fun trope that's been played in other places. But there's a scene in The Last Jedi where all of a sudden you cut to this like large metal thing that's moving and steam is coming out of it and it's dark behind it. You don't know, is this like some spaceship? Is this some torture weapon? And it's just an iron being used to iron the imperial <laughs> soldiers uniforms and i was like mm-hmm. that these two moments are spiritually connected i'm sure there's eight other moments that formed the chain but it was beautiful yeah no um, the, the, i love uh random scenes like that what makes me th- what, what i think of it conceptually is in the the avengers but not marvel avengers the like there's like an old mm-hmm. british tv show that they made a movie out of in the like, oh, yes. late late 90s uh or mid 90s uh sean connery is the bad guy and he walks up and when they first walk up to him or when they first meet him he walks up all menacingly and then there's a pause and he says tea and he goes and gets them some tea <laughs> and it's it's that it's the I, I, what is the phrase that i'm trying to think of decorum like, like false decorum yeah just like the 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 bait and switch of mm, yeah. menacing 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 oh super super laid back and peaceful <laughs> yeah i, I love things like that but with that note of evil mm-hmm. uh, another one of my favorite top shelf moments i don't hear some of yours is again about hair mocked in that battle in the bar the amulet gets thrown into the fire that's what they're all fighting over and he reaches to grab for the amulet but of course it's metal and it's been in the fire and so it's red hot and all you see is him like hold it up for a few seconds screaming drop it run outside and shove his hand into the snow and then later we have this mystery how do the nazis know where to dig if they don't have that (laughs) amulet Mm -hmm. and we find that the amulet basically was burned into this guy's hand yeah and the 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 plot twist is that they um but that the other side of the amulet has more information that they don't have and so that's why they're digging in the wrong place and i just thought that was such a great little like it's an adventure movie and there's fight scenes but it's also we are having fun with archaeology and mysteries and things like that and it it wasn't it wasn't explicitly shown like the revelation of the scar forming and and all this stuff right. it was just it just down the line the nazis have been up to stuff this is what happened moving on yeah like it, it's not 
it's a it's a key plot point for the Nazis, but not for the story that we're telling. Yeah, it's when That's he puts his fun. hand up to say the Nazi salute. That yeah. is when it happens. Yeah. So what about you? What are you what are some of your top shelf moments? Oh, top shelf moments. Uh well, just the the open the the introduction to Indy is a lot of fun when he gets to the idol. Like uh how he approaches traps, which you don't really see much of later in the movie because it's moving the the story long instead yeah. of introducing Indy, but like how he looks at a room and how he dissects it and figures out, okay, well, don't touch the light or, um, oh, clearly there's pressure plates. Like, it, why is it just sitting there? Something's off. Like, that's a lot of, um, a lot of fun. And I love puzzle solvers like that. Um, yeah. another, he's very much a rogue in that way. I mean, both yeah. in terms, like the, the traditional definition of the word in terms of how he treats people and being kind of a ne'er-do-well, but also like a D and D rogue, you know, he, mm-hmm. he spots traps. He, he has with him that bag of sand he can use cause he figures out that it's the weight. And so he tries to like have the exact moment. Yeah. Perfect. For um, the we referenced it earlier, but the, the spirits, going through it's got haunted mansion vibes um Mm. of that like of the the animation spirit but it's an actor uh like superimposed on top of the regular screen um that's it's it's a fun it it looks good it looks spooky looks eerie Mm -hmm. i really like that um Another favorite of mine, and uh, you may not know this story. Some of our listeners may have heard it already, but the I think the single greatest thing that's ever come from a hangover. So in the original script, Indy is supposed to face down that swordsman and have an epic sword fight with him. <laughs> right. And the, the Hollywood legend goes, and I believe this is accurate. It's certainly I've always heard it, but who knows? We'll get some other real story later, is that Harrison Ford showed up hungover or in some versions still a little drunk and did, really didn't want to do this big sword fight and he said Stephen how about if I just shoot the guy and it everyone was sense. like that would be really funny and so that's why they, <laughs> and so that wonderful scene of the sword guy going like wah, 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 and then he just kind of like shrugging and shooting him was not filmed was not scripted in the slightest it was that's amazing Harrison's uh, uh, improvisation on script um, I love that and, and just, again, in the 1930s adventure vibe, something about the red lines on the map as they travel. Oh, like it helps to ground me. And yeah. I, I love that. I love a good map. And it felt yeah. very, just the fact that they stop in various places, reminding you that, like, they're, these aren't jet planes. They're not flying thousands <laughs> of miles without stopping. Yeah. And it just helps really ground you in exactly where you are. And I just love it. The, I love those montages for sure. Um, conceptually, from a story storytelling standpoint, this is really weird to say, especially on a recording. But like, there's the the wonder the wonder part of me is thankful that Hitler was so into the occult for some reason, and mm-hmm. because it just leads to stories like this, and like it gets yeah. used in Marvel stories, in um, in anime all the time, in TV shows. Just this side fact that Hitler was so into the occult, and being able to play off of that and do a pseudo science fiction story yeah. where 
what are some of the findings that Hitler would have done and how do we stop that as the good guys and the anti-Nazi like and and that oh, that always plays off in just the most interesting storytelling yeah, I mean, ways. You could have Red Skull be the one leading this expedition. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very much that exact same. And and the thing is that it's based in truth. Hitler did exactly. have, yeah. And and people argue over whether he really believed in the occult or whether he was just like, look, I'll I'll take anything I can get. Mm-hmm. But there definitely were Nazi teams out exploring the world, trying to find these ancient relics. Um, yeah. And and so yeah, the idea that he's looking for the Tesseract or the Ark of the Covenant or in a later movie the Holy Grail or whatever it is. There's a historical basis for that. That's not completely ridiculous. Yeah, and and because of that, like it's not even it's not even a storytelling trope that like, hey, let's make Hitler a little more interesting and make him into a cult. It's literally he was into the occult. He was doing. He was he he cared to some degree about help you know whatever he could use to win the war, which he didn't. Right. But <laughs> uh, and so like I'm. I'm thankful from a story consuming uh, perspective that he was so into that because it is it has inspired so many different plot points like this. And it's also interesting because, you know, again, I think many of us today think of World War Two as something that happened, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries ago. We're we're coming up on 100 years. We're still only about 80 years away from it. When this movie came out 40 years ago, um, this movie came out only 36 years after World War II ended. So, like, a lot of people who went to see this movie or, you know, who took their kids to the movie or their grandkids to this movie, like, lived through World War II. Maybe as kids, maybe even as as soldiers or things like that. And it's... In a way, there's a nostalgia there of... I remember fondly the time when Nazis were so clearly awful evil that we just punched them on screen and cheered instead of like watching them march in our streets, you know, mm. and like <laughs> they've always been with us to some, there's always been neo-Nazis, but and, and I don't want to get into all the politics of it, but it's another fun part of the movie is this fun nostalgia of like, yeah, remember when like the one thing we all agreed on is we should all punch Nazis. Is that Nazis are terrible? <laughs> right. I, I, there's a lot of great stuff that'll come up about um, Indiana Jones' Antifa. Which I really love, you know, because he's willing to punch a Nazi. Um, but that's a whole other story as well. Matt Carroll again is mad that I'm getting too political, so we'll pull back from that. Uh, any other last thoughts from you on the top shelf? Um, it's it's honestly it's a fun movie. It's it it is old, and there are parts that did not age well, whether it's themes or graphics, but it's still not a bad movie and it's absolutely yeah. worth watching yeah i think it's, it's really fun i think it's really fun especially because part of why i do talk every now and then a little bit about the like archaeological ethics is that we know from a trip well there's a quick spoiler for a trailer for the newest indiana jones movie that's coming out so if you don't want to hear it skip ahead 60 seconds but we know in that movie that uh, his goddaughter questions him on this and is like, how can you just be stealing these things from people? So I I think one of the things that's most interesting to see about the new movie is how the the writers know that 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 this some parts haven't aged well and they've and they've aged them up. And I'm really and so it's fun to go back and see this and like, yeah, this movie wouldn't get made today and that's probably a good thing, but damn it's still a lot of fun. And yeah. I think that's, you know, kind of where I come down on it. 
All right. Well, Will, thank you so much. We're going to have a rotating group of people uh, uh, through through the rest of these movies. As I said, Bill and Ashley are coming up the next one. Um, Matt Carroll himself will be back to talk about uh, Crystal Skull, the fourth movie. Uh, so, Will, though, for people who haven't heard you before, where can they find you? Find me on Twitch, uh, Silver Dreamer there. Uh, Twitter, if you want my random musings and, and ramblings. Instagram, if you want to look into my real life. And uh, Hype is my superpower podcast. Uh, if you want to hear me talk to ad nauseum about uh, Marvel Comics. Definitely. And of course, um, this is uh, a... And of course, this podcast is part of Binger's Assemble, which is part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. There we've got amazing podcasts on the MCU, on Star Trek, on all sorts of different awesome properties. Uh, if you go to strandedpanda.com, you'll find all the information about that, and all that will be in the show notes. And I, myself, am Matthew, The Ethical Panda. If you go to theethicalpanda.com, you'll find my two podcasts, Superhero Ethics and Star Wars Universe Podcast, in which Will, Matt Carroll, Jeff Randall, Ashley, all of them have been guests at various points in time. So uh, on behalf of myself and Will and everybody at Stranded Panda and everybody in the Bingers Assemble family, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tune in to all of our episodes on the Indiana Jones movies coming soon. We have spoken. (laughs) Bye. Binger's Assemble is a Stranded Panda podcast. For all of our podcasts and other geeky creative projects, go to strandedpanda.com. 